you guys see me okay up here? It's not, it's not too dark. I'm not blending in with the wall or anything like that. We're all good, sweet. Well, the, the title of my message today is The Unexpected Baby. Um, and that can have different connotations, but I'm excited for what it's going to carry out today. We're, we started a series, as Pastor Tim said, on forever hope. And then my message today will touch on the hope of a baby um, and the unexpectedness sometimes of a baby. Um, and I, I believe that the birth of Jesus brings both expected um, consequences and circumstances. So there's a lot of prophetic and a lot of foretelling of what Jesus' birth was going to look like and what the Messiah was going to um, do and be. Um, but I believe there's also a lot of unexpected and unusual things around the birth of Jesus and who Jesus was. So today, uh, I just want to um, expand a bit on that and how do we marry the expected parts of the promises of God um, with the unexpected parts of that process and the route that God takes us to get there. So why don't we, um, why don't we pray to start off? God, uh, we come before you today with an expectation um, that you are going to do something in this place. Uh, God, we, we praise you for who you are. Um, when we come before you, God, we come before you in humility, knowing that we don't know it all. Uh, we, we, we don't know it all, um, and when we can't get through this ourselves, and we need you. We need saving. So, God, we just thank you um, for what you're doing in this place as you prepare the hearts of myself and the, of, the, of the brothers and sisters that are in front of me today, that you prepare our hearts, um, God, for something uh, expected and unexpected, that, God, your spirit would be moving, um, your word would come alive, um, and that as we come across the familiar story of the birth of Jesus, that you could speak to us afresh today. We know your word is alive and living. So even though we uh, go over the same thing sometimes, you can bring different things into our circumstances um, and you can um, highlight points in our life that need highlighting. Um, and God, we just thank you that you would reveal yourself more and more us, to us today. Um, and God, I just pray that the words that I speak are just not of my own, but they're inspired by the Holy Spirit um, and that would be pleasing, a pleasing offering to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Men, um, I am a little bit sore, if I'm honest with you. My body is like aching. I played two soccer games yesterday and played a semi-final this morning. Um, and that verse from Corinthians when Paul's talking that our outer body is decaying, um, but our inner body is renewed day by day, just came into my mind and inspired me that, you know, although I'm sore on the outside, uh, God is going to do something in the spirit afresh today, um, and it's going to be really good. I, I like the Christmas season because there's a lot of anticipation that happens um, around this around this time, and really what I'm going to be talking about today is the anticipation. I was inspired um, by a pastor that I heard speaking or a speaker that I heard praying throughout this week. And there was something profound in his prayer that really caught my heart and attention and really challenged me and convicted me. And he was praying and he says, God, we just pray uh, for the ex that we'd have expectation around you uh, today. Um, but he says, God, I pray that our hearts would be open to the unexpected. Because so often we can come with our expectations. God, you must do this. God, you must do that. But how open are we to, what, to the unexpected that God wants to do in our midst? And I pray that the sermon um, sort of talks about the expected and the unexpected. I pray that this morning you would get something that you expected and potentially you would leave with something that was unexpected. I encourage you today, today will be in the first half, a little bit more teaching. 
um, and then a bit more preaching towards the end. So if you want to take notes, I encourage you, there is great value in taking notes, not just because I'm speaking today, uh, but when you take notes, you memorize things. And I also encourage you, you might hear something that God's speaking to you and you write it down and you remember it and you can take that away and study about it. Also, you might hear something and say, actually, I'm not quite sure about that. And I pray that whenever I'm speaking or anyone's speaking that if, you're, if you don't, something doesn't seem right or you take it away, you write it down and you test that um, because God might bring a greater revelation. He might expand your thinking through that or potentially you might need to, you know, take a different revelation away from it. So I encourage you to do that this morning. The unexpected baby. Uh, what's fascinating for me about Christmas is that there's, there's an expectation and an anticipation around that December 25th date. Um, there's an excitement, a joy, a fear, a worry. Um, there's many unknowns and knowns, the patience, you see family. What gifts am I going to buy people? I get into the shops in time. Is it going to be too crowded at the shops? We have all this anticipation and expectation around Christmas time. And see, that is an anticipation and expectation that isn't something that we just experience now as we celebrate Jesus' birth annually. There was a great expectation and an anticipation around the original birth of Jesus too. I don't know about you, when, when it comes to a baby, there is such great hope and joy in a new baby. I remember, um, and I remember quite vividly for my age, I remember in September, September the 10th, 2002, and as that might trigger in your mind, that's just a, a less one year minus one day after the 9-11 attacks um, on the Twin Towers. Um, so September 10th, 2002, I remember I was at my auntie's place and my mum, uh, Sandra, was heavily pregnant um, with her third child, who happens to be also sitting right next to her, Jerome. Um, and I was at my auntie's place and I had seen my mum pregnant for quite a while and I was excited and there was a joy within me to see my new sibling. And then um, we're at my auntie's place and my mom, knowing that 9-11 happened on the September 11th, was desperate not to have Jerome on the year after on September 11th. Um, so she was doing uh, walks around the block with my cousins and auntie and, and she's just doing everything she can in her capacity to get this baby out on that day. Um, and I remember we were sitting in the lounge room and the water broke, and um, they run out the door. But there was one problem with that. I expected to see my brother born, but they left me behind. <laughs> and I remember vividly as a five-year-old, uh, just running to that door, and I was kicking, and I was screaming, and I was throwing the biggest tantrum you can imagine. My auntie's holding me back, and I'm, no, I should be there. I've got to see my sibling born. There's a lot of expectation um, that comes around a birth, but sometimes unexpected things happen and it kind of gets in the way of our processes and how do we deal with the unexpected things around birth and things and expectations that happens in our life. I saw my parents leave and I wanted to be a part of it. And given the hope and the build-up of this, my attitude, my emotions, everything was challenged when it all came to play and it was what I didn't expect. So how do we marry the expected parts of what God has for us? How do we marry that with the unexpected parts of the process? When God gives us a promise, when God tells us something and, it, it, and our, our faces light up and our life is so aligned to that purpose, but then unexpected things happen in the process of that happening. I want to talk a little bit around, and I, I encourage you to stay with me for this. I'm going to talk around the context a little bit of Jesus' birth. We know in Genesis chapter 3, Verse 15, man fell, Adam and Eve sinned, um, and there's this promise early on 
um, from the book of Genesis of a Messiah coming to save us. In Genesis 3.15, I will put enmity, enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Here, scholars say, is probably the first sign and the first promise of Jesus in the Bible. The offspring, the seed of the woman. And throughout the rest of the Old Testament, we see repeated um, prophetic um, uh, promises from God to his people around the birth of Jesus and the coming of the Messiah. You see, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, God promises each of them that their generations will be blessed. And examples in Abraham's account in Genesis 12:3, I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Here's a prophetic promise to Abraham that God was going to bless um, the world through his lineage and generations. We see the same with King David, and you start to see King David as, a, as an heir and as, um, as a, down the lineage of Abraham and all of God's anointed people, all the forefathers. We see in 2 Samuel tw- uh, 7, 12 to 13, when your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Sort of touches on our forever hope. This is a promise to King David that someone down the line of King David will have their throne established forever. I love in Isaiah 7, 14, it says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. And just one last one in Micah 5, 2. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, and I chop that, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. So there's just a prophetic promise of Jesus being born into Bethlehem. See, there were so many prophecies in the Old Testament about the Messiah coming, and there was this expectation in the nation of Israel um, that they didn't know it was Jesus per se, but they knew a Messiah was coming to save them and establish the kingdom forever. And then we get to the book of Malachi in the Old Testament writings, and that's the last book in the Bible, if you're looking at uh, sequentially um, in terms of time. Um, and you get to the last book of the Bible, Malachi, and then the New Testament comes in. But some of you may know that there was a period, what they call the intertestamental period. So the time between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Many people would coin that the silent years. And that was a period of about 400 years where there was no prophetic voice to Israel. There was, people would say there was silence from God. Um, and what a period, what a, what a way to coin that. But I, I want to suggest to you today, um, and I'm going to read a little bit about what I mean by this, but potentially, although the prophetic voice wasn't there, God was still moving. Who knows, God is always moving and always up to, up to something. So I want to take you through a little bit of the, silent, the 400 silent years. So it kicks off with the Persian Empire in 530 to 330 BC. Um, so many of you know that a lot of the Israelites were in exile. Um, and the Persian Empire allowed a lot of the Israelites to come back to the Holy Land. They came in different waves. You see um, Nehemiah bring people through. And people started to come back to the Holy Land. And the temple was re- rebuilt in that process. And then in about 334 BC, a, a man called Alexander the Great defeats the Persian Empire. 
Um, and he conquers most of the known world within a 10-year period, which is just absolutely phenomenal. Um, and then this process of Hellenization occurs. And why is this important? Believe me, God works in the details, so we'll just stick with me here. A process of Hellenization um, occurred. So what happens was Alexander the Great was strong in Greek philosophy and culture, and he spread the Greek culture throughout um, the countries that they had dominated, most of the known world. So then all of a sudden, they, the world is unified through Koine Greek, which is the language of the time, um, and the Greek culture was established throughout all these regions. And then we go through a period of the Egyptians and then the Syrians. Um, and in the Syrian and Seleucid rule, there was, a, there was an uproar because one of the kings or one of the rulers, Antiochus IV, um, desecrated the Jewish temple. He tried to put a pig in the temple and sacrifice it on the altar. There was a big uproar. Um, and then we go into the Maccabean period uh, where the Jews uproared. And for a period of about 100 years, um, they, they rebelled um, through different guerrilla groups, and they eventually took control, um, and that was till about 63 BC. And then we come to 64 BC, which is the Roman rule, which is where Jesus was born into, lived under, and then died from. Um, and the Roman, religi- uh, the Roman rule, sorry, tolerated other nations and gods. Um, and however, oftentimes they would persecute small cults, or when they had superstitions about someone trying to over-arch um, the overrule um, their rule, and that was seen as a threat to society. And then we see Jesus Christ born in about 6 to 4 BC, estimated by scholars and theologians. So why is this important? First of all, we see Alexander the Great take over and bring in a unified Greek language. And what that did, it actually started to pave the way and prepare people for the spreading of the gospel. And it's an incredible thought. In about 250 BC, um, the... The, the Septuagint was formed. The Septuagint is the Greek scriptures. So they took the Old Testament Hebrew scriptures, which the Jewish people could read and was quite exclusive to them. And they were translated by about 70 or 80 people um, into the Septuagint, which is the Greek scriptures um, of, the, of the Old Testament. And what that did is started to normalize some of the scripture and the availability and accessibility of it. And when the Romans came into rule in 64 BC, the Romans were a great empire, as people would know. And they began to build roads, and everyone understood the common language, and they had a religious freedom and peace and the freedom to travel throughout the empire. So what happened in that 400 years, although there was no prophetic voice, all of a sudden everyone knew the same language in Greek. And not only that, there was peace. There was Pax Ramona, a peace treaty that people were able to live in peace amongst each other there was freedom of religion now there was roads throughout the roman empire so when the gospel came the good news could be spread and it's so beautiful that that was happening in that 400 years so we must then acknowledge that even when in periods of silence when we feel like god is silent in our lives or that we haven't heard a prophetic voice or word in in a long time that god could be simply establishing the infrastructure to enable his promise to come into fruition. That there is things happening in the background in our lives that God is preparing us for in order for his promise and the calling that he has on your life to come to fruition. And we see this with the birth of Jesus. And when the time was right, in 6 to 4 BC, the Messiah was born. And God found people that were willing, ready, righteous, and available to carry out his purposes. He found Zechariah and Elizabeth, um, who in obedience, they were of old age, 
um, and they were, they were righteous and they were following all of the orders and religion of the day. And God found them and birthed a promise in them. They were obedient. Zechariah fell silent. Um, and John the Baptist was born and he was there to usher in the kingdom of God and warn them of the coming Messiah. And in, in a similar fashion, we see a barren womb coming to life and John the Baptist is born. We see uh, Mary and Joseph answer that same call, an angel of the Lord visits. And Mary, a virgin who is betrothed or engaged uh, to Joseph, conceives by the, Holy, by the Holy Spirit. And we see Jesus born. These are people who are ready, willing, and available as God was building the infrastructure throughout the whole Roman Empire fulfilling the, the scriptures and the prophetic things for hundreds of years through the Old Testament, God found people that were ready, willing, righteous, and available. And I encourage us, are we ready, willing, righteous, and available for God? Even throughout the Luke chapter 2 and 3, which a lot of the rest of my sermon will be based on, we see the prophetic voices of a lady called Anna and a, a gentleman called Simeon, as Jesus was presented in the temple, these were people that were ready, available, righteous, and willing, filled with the Holy Spirit. And they prophetically talked over Mary and Joseph and the baby, and they spoke life over him, and they were in the right place to confirm the calling on Jesus' life. And I love this because God establishes sometimes our lives, and, and He brings us to a place of humility um, and, and growth and, and, and oftentimes, even throughout the Israelites, he used foreign powers and culture to advance his kingdom. The Jews were anticipating, after being under the rule of so many different empires, leading a revolt and then putting, getting put back into their, in their places as servants and as, as a, being oppressed. God used them and they were ready for the Messiah, not only because the Greek language is around, but because there was this anticipation, there was this expectation that the Messiah must be coming soon. See, I love this quote from Charles Spurgeon, and I just like throwing it in whatever sermon I can, that God's provision is always punctual. And, and, and I pray that that is a declaration for your life as well. So the hope of a baby, where can we go from here? So I want to just give three points to you guys today, um, and hopefully these three points will help you. And I'm going to go through these three points, and both of them are going to talk to some expected parts of Jesus' birth, and then some unexpected parts of Jesus' birth. So the first thing is, the first point is his lineage. Everyone say his lineage. The Hebrew and Jewish people were very particular and meticulous with the way they recorded the lineage and genealogies of the people and generations that had come before them. You can look in the Gospels of Matthew chapter 1 and Luke chapter 3, and you see two different genealogies, and there is debate about who these genealogies can be assigned to. I think the most recent um, agreement or consensus is that Matthew chapter 1 is the genealogy of Joseph and uh, the one in the book of Luke is the genealogy of Mary, um, one of them being the legal uh, uh, genealogy and the other one being the biological. And what we see in this lineage is a whole bunch of different generations. And you see how God has worked throughout time, throughout the nation of Israel, um, and has worked throughout all different sorts of people. Because with every generation, comes an opportunity for God to do something great. With, every, with, with the birth of a child, there is this hope and expectation because what is this child going to look like? Is he going to look more like the mother, the father? Is this child uh, going to speak or walk really quickly? What is this child going to be look like? What is this child, child going to be like, sorry? And, and with, with this lineage, you see 
throughout hundreds and hundreds of years of generations of God moving, is in one of them, it starts with Adam and it goes throughout Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. And even then, even just at the sounds of those names, you can remember some of the biblical stories around how God had delivered them, how they failed, how they sinned, how they were redeemed. And you see this all throughout that lineage. Um, and Jesus' lineage provides us a great insight into how God uses the various generations. There's a lot of expected people that you see in there. So God prophetically declared uh, that he would come through the line of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, which we went through earlier, that he'd come through. He's the son of David because he'd come through the, the, the lineage of David. But something that is kind of unexpected in the, in the book of Matthew, as you read what the writer writes, in the genealogy, he includes four women, which is something that is unusual for the Jewish historically the Jewish people to do, that it was very male-dominated. They include four women. And in particular, one that I want to point out this morning, one of them was Rahab. If anyone knows the story of Rahab in the book of Joshua, Rahab was a prostitute. And not only was she a prostitute, she was a Canaanite. She was of non-Israelite heritage. And what, how phenomenal that the, the birth of Jesus and Jesus as a baby, his great-great-great-great-grandmother up there is Rahab, a prostitute and a Canaanite, a foreigner. And, and as you start to look through the lineage and the genealogy, story after story, person after person, you begin to recognize that God can use anyone. That God can use me and you. If he can use David, who was an adulterer, a great king, great warrior, great man of God, a man after God's heart, that turned to adultery, became complicit in the murder of his adulterers or his uh, mistress's husbands, and he can use people like that. He can use people like Rahab, who was a prostitute and was a Canaanite. He can use you and I. And that he can use anyone in order to see his will and his plan established. We see his faithfulness to the promises, regardless of what people do and what people did. God was still faithful to his word. Another thing I'd like to point out with looking through those lineage is that God goes beyond generational curses or cycles and he can bring healing and closure and deliverance to your life. He can turn your life upside down and he can break things that have been in your family for years and years. He can break that with a new generation. He can break that with deliverance in your life. And that God uses all types of people to move his plan, move his plan forward. Point number two, point number one was his lineage. Point number two, his environment. Jesus was born, does anyone know where he's born? In a manger. Jesus was born in a manger. What a great way to introduce the Messiah of the world in a manger. And I know we're used to hearing that, that he was born in a manger. But can you just imagine that for a moment, being born into a manger? Basically into a farm. Like I'm talking there's the stench of animal. There was no room for them in the inn, so they went to the manger. I, I just think... She wrapped him in clothes and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. Another thing I'd like to point out, Jesus was born in a manger, not really great circumstances, dire circumstances. You would think God plans from the beginning of, the, of time to send Jesus to this earth that he would have got a room for him in a hotel, right? He would have got, maybe would have booked out a motel reserve on in advance. Jesus was born in a manger. That's the environment that it was born into. Another, another point to make that Mary and Joseph, Joseph at the time of Jesus' birth were poverty stricken. They were poor. And this is debated quite a lot. But we see at the birth of Jesus, 
Now, Mary and jo- Joseph were poor, and here's, here's why we see that. It came to a time um, when Jewish boys needed to get circumcised after eight days, and then about 33 days later, their mum had to present, the mother had to present themselves into the temple to be purified. And I'll pick up the story from, um, pick up the verse from, I don't have the verse on here, but it starts from verse 22. I think it's Luke chapter 2. Am I on the screen? Yeah, beautiful. Luke chapter 2. It says, when the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written, the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord. Can I grab some water? Is that okay? Is it here? Oh, cool. And to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what he said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. So what we see here is that they're following the the law of Moses, that when a a young boy is um, born, that they must go to the temple and offer a sacrifice in what is keeping with the law of the Lord. And see, that law, it says here that a pair of doves or two pigeons were sacrificed by Mary and Joseph. And see, in the law of the Lord, that is not first choice as we read in Leviticus. They sacrificed a pair of doves or two young pigeons, but what should have really happened, should they had the wealth and the resources, they should have sacrificed a young lamb. We look in Leviticus 12, 6, 8. It says, but if she cannot afford a lamb, she is to bring two doves or two young pigeons, one for a burnt offering and the other for a sin offering. In this way, the priest will make atonement for her and she will be clean. What we see here is that Mary and Joseph were, were a young couple and they had to sacrifice two young pigeons or a pair of doves because they didn't have the resource in order to do that. So not only are we born in a manger, we're coming to a young couple that are poverty stricken and they come from the town of Nazareth. And just to bring some clarity um, to them being poor, the Magi and the wise men visited them with gold, myrrh and frankincense. And I've been in a part of many Christmas productions. And because you have a span of about 15 minutes, you sort of put everything into the one scene. There's the, ma- there's the manger, there's the shepherds, there's the wise men. But biblically speaking, a lot of scholars would say that the Magi and the wise men that presented those gifts could have come up to two years after the actual birth of Jesus. And hence why 40 days after Jesus' birth, they didn't have the resource um, to, to get the young lamb. So first of all, um, where did we go? They were poverty stricken. Jesus was born in a manger and they came from Nazareth. They came from Nazareth. Nazareth was an obscure hill town, remote and of no consequence. It wasn't sophisticated nor glamorous. It was quite the opposite. And it's not a place that anyone would have expected the Messiah to come from. In John 1.46, when Nathaniel and Philip were together and Philip was building this anticipation in Nathaniel saying, Nathaniel, the Messiah is here. He has arrived. And Nathaniel exclaims in John 1, 46, he says, Nazareth, can anything good come from there? And Philip said, come and see. Isaiah 53, verse 2 to 3, says, prophesies about Jesus. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind a man of suffering and familiar with pain, like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised and we held him in low esteem. I don't know about you, but a lot of people would um, assess the, the potential of a baby being born into a family by their circumstances. Ha- have you heard the, the rhetoric or the, 
conjecture that people that are born into dysfunctional environments, that baby has no hope. (laughs) That child is going to end up in jail or on the street. Has anyone heard that before? Um, And when we look at the circumstances of Jesus, I love what God does because he planted the Messiah of the world in dire circumstances. It just blows my mind that there were a lot of expected things about Jesus' birth, but when he actually arrived, it was, there were some unexpected things that caught people's attention. Another thing, Mary and, Mary and Joseph were not married at the time that uh, Mary conceived. They were engaged. And it says, um, I don't have this on the screen, so I apologize, but I want to read from the scripture here. It says, because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. In verse 24, I believe this is in the book of Matthew. When, G- when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. Not only were they not married, uh, but to society looking inwards, they had a baby out of wedlock. Yet, uh, yet Joseph, in his righteousness and his obedience and the covering of his wife, they get married immediately after the angel of the Lord confirms it. So what we see is Jesus, not only he comes from a lineage of broken people, the environment he was born into, in, into a manger, into parents uh, that were trying to, you know, cover from public shame, into a place where it was low socioeconomic status, and they were coming from Nazareth. These are all the circumstances that Jesus was born into. And I believe it's for God to get the glory, and also because Jesus came as a humble servant to serve mankind. Point number three, uh, my last one, his agenda. See, many of the Jewish people in their frustration of being turned over during the Maccabean revolt and and all of the different empires that were sort of controlling them and oppressing them, many of them thought that the prophetic introductions and the climate of society would bring along a Messiah uh, that was here to dominate the Romans, to overthrow them and to just come down with fire and blaze and just destroy everything and and reestablish the kingdom of Israel. They thought they were going to free the Jewish people from their oppression and all earthly authorities were going to disappear and God would rule them then and then. And we know that one day will happen soon when the kingdom of God is in its full fulfillment. But however, Jesus' agenda was different to what people had expected. What people had expected. See, Jesus says, I'm anointed to set the captives free, but he meant something else by that statement. The people of Israel for many generations and many years had gone through being faithful to God Uh, to falling into idolatry, and all of a sudden came Jesus, the person that was here to save them. For many people, like the disciples, they were inspired and their lives were transformed because they said yes to following Jesus. But for many others, some of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, some of the other Jewish skeptics, they couldn't accept that a Jesus from Nazareth, a Jesus in dire circumstances could come and save them. Their hearts were hardened. They, and I love um, what, it, what Mary sings in her song in Luke chapter 1. And I'm going to read some of it from here because it's quite long. But listen to how she rejoices uh, that she's a part of what God's doing here on earth. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. Skip down to verse 51. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel 
remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he has promised our ancestors. And I think this is great news to people uh, that are broken. Because Jesus, people thought Jesus was coming. Many people thought that he was coming for the healthy. He was coming just for the righteous, the people that had it all together. But we know that Jesus did not just come for those people. He also came for the, for the sick, for the broken. And I don't know about you, but I know that I'm broken. I know that I need saving. And Jesus' agenda was different to man's agenda. Israel thought that they could, you know, bring back the kingdom of God through dominance and violence and, and fighting back, which they tried only 150 years before that. But Jesus had a different idea. He was going to bring the kingdom of God down and not only establish it for the, the nation of Israel, but for Gentiles also. And he wasn't here to overthrow the, uh, the earthly authorities. He was coming in to overthrow the authorities that we allow in our own hearts. We allow the authority of sin to rule our, our lives and our hearts. We allow flesh to rule our lives oftentimes. But he came to free us from the bondage of sin. Of sin. He came to free us from the oppression of our inward struggles, not just our outward struggles. Luke 2, 34-35, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and the sword will pierce your own soul too. That Jesus was coming here to save us from sin. And I, and, I, and I love that he came to do this for us. He, people expected him to overthrow the earthly authorities and rulers. But Jesus came to demolish sin, something that would free us um, as people forever. And, and I think this is not only an invitation, um, but we should have an expectation around Christmas time that we can reduce Jesus to a baby in a manger without really considering the context and the struggle and, and the opportunity that arose around that time. That there was a lot of expected things around the times of Jesus. But I want to ask you the question today, what is an unexpected thing that has happened around this time of year for you? And, and I'll probably reduce that question or clarify that question a little bit more. What, what are you expecting this Christmas? Is it going to be another year of gifts and fun and joy? And I, I hope it is for you. Um, but when we come around the story of Jesus, how do we refresh our minds, restore our hearts to be open to being inspired and changed and challenged by the story of Jesus? Because this isn't just a hope around December 25th or that we remember around Christmas time. This is a forever hope. This is a hope. This is a kingdom that has been established forever. And this was the starting point. Um, and I believe that Jesus is inviting us to come along on that journey. God wants us to be a part of that lineage that all the generations will be blessed, that we now are heirs of that same promise. That, that, that we would be a blessing to all people as well. That we wouldn't consider our environment as something to limit us, but we would see our environment that God has placed us in as something for Him to get the glory out of. That yes, you might not have all the tools you have right now in your possession. You might not have all the skills or the abilities. You might not have the finance. You might not have the parents. You might not have the family structures or the support systems. But God is wanting to use you for His glory. I have no doubt about that. His plan can include you if you're willing to accept that invitation. And He wants to plan, plant His own agenda on your heart. 
I pray that as we approach this Christmas season, as we approach our lives in 2022, which is approaching quite quite quickly, that we wouldn't just live by our own agenda, that we would be inspired to live by the agenda of Christ, that we'd be inspired to the great commission to preaching the gospel, making disciples, the great commandment, loving God and loving people, that would permeate our thinking, it would permeate our lifestyle and we would be known as the light of the world because if we're on God's agenda, we're not on our own. We're not on our own time, we're on God's timing. And maybe you're waiting and you feel like God's been silent this year or things have just been chaotic. Just remember that God could be establishing the infrastructure for what He's about to do in the future. So although God might feel silent, God could be doing things in the background. And we just have to be willing and ready and available to be there when God is willing to show us and reveal to us what He's doing in, our, in the season He's called us to. So maybe today, um, the story of Jesus met your expectations. Maybe you didn't. But I pray that you would be able to marry the expectations that we have with the unexpected. I pray that you'd be open to the Holy Spirit. And you say, God, you know, I expected to come to church today. I expected uh, to walk in, say hello to someone. I expected to grab a coffee after church. I expected to hear, you know, an, an okay sermon. And I expected to sing along with the songs. But would you be open to the unexpected of what God wants to do in your life today and going forward? Would we have the humility and the openness to say, God, you know what? Whatever you want to do, I'm open and willing. Here I am, send me. Awesome. That, that's the end of my sermon. Today. I'm going to pray. Why don't we stand to our feet? I'm just going to pray and then we'll see where we go from there. Dear God, we thank you in the name of Jesus Christ. God, we thank you that you are a God of the expected and the unexpected, that you've given us promises that we can expect you to fulfill because your word is never void. And God, but we're open to your Holy Spirit. That whenever, whatever you want to drop revelation, God, whenever you want to see miracles happen, whenever you want to see a move of the Holy Spirit, that we're, we're open and we're available and we're willing, God. God, we're people that we want to see the expected and the unexpected happen in MacArthur, happen in our families, happen in our own lives. Lord God, that we would be positioned as with childlike faith, that we would have such a dependence and a longing for our Father in heaven, that we, wouldn't, we don't even want to live by our own agenda, we want to live by yours. So God, I, I thank you, God, as we hear the message today. Though it wouldn't just be a teaching or a preaching for us to ponder on for a moment, but it's something that we can meditate on and something that you would speak to us throughout this week, that you would find ways for us to, to, to digest what has been said today and that it would come out as fruit in our lives. And God, I, I pray for the rest of the series as Pastor Jason preaches next week, as Pastor Timothy preaches the week after. Uh, that we would recognize the forever hope we have in Jesus. That the, the story of the nativity or of Jesus, we wouldn't reduce it to a, to a myth or to an, a story or a nice, cute account of a baby. But God, we would realize that there is power in the birth of Jesus. Divine things happen. A virgin gave birth. That there is something happening in the midst of, of in, in the background that not many people saw but it happened. So God, I just pray that we would have that same spirit in our lives, that there's things happening in the background. We know you're working, we know you're moving, but God, allow us to have the patience to see that fulfilled. 
Let us not try shortcut your processes. Let us not get impatient, but let us have self-control that whatever we're waiting on in our lives for you to use us, God, that we would have the patience. Even if we're living in obscurity right now, we feel like we're isolated or no one can see us. God, we, we wait upon you in those moments of doubt. And God, as we finish up this service today, I just pray, God, that you would impart something unique today, God, something that hasn't been established before in the hearts of people. There would be a new hope of the expected and both the unexpected. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen, amen, amen. Thank you, Chris.